Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 494 of the Constructive Criticism Podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, Mason Clark. What up? I'm ready to game. A man who is flapping his arms to Denver, Ape Stein. Listen, uh, flights are expensive, and sometimes you gotta just work out. Work, work it all out. <laughs> Do you guys know that I learned how the wing, like, how, how airplanes fly, like, this week? Oh, do you mean, I like, you know. understand the science of it, or you learned, like, how it works? I didn't know that they pushed the air during in different ways around the wing to make to give it lift. I actually had no idea that's how that worked. Gotcha. Okay, okay, okay. Always improving for me, but I, I did, in fact, learn that this week. Flying's crazy. Physics yeah, I, don't like that. I didn't, I didn't, I just, I don't know, I always thought, like, you know, you just go fast enough and you get lift. No, that's not how it works at all. So, you know, now we know. Once upon a time, that was that was the sauce. That was the blade. Yeah. The Wright brothers did it wrong, but they did do it. <laughs> uh, you know who does it right is our people over at Patreon. If you want to support the show, one of the best ways to do that is support directly over at patreon.com slash ccmtg. And we have some new patrons to welcome this week, just like we do every week. We would like to welcome Nathan, AJ, Tim, and John, and Austin. Welcome to the fam. Uh, it was really cool this week to kind of see the the total pop-off in the Discord of all these new people. People are already, you know, getting in there, talking about stuff. It's It's been really fun. Really quick, just want to mention, like, what we're talking about this week. We are going to be doing our Pick 2 set review, uh, which is something we straight up stole from Mason Clark on Even Odds Pod when he joined the show. So thank you, Mason, for giving us our amazing format in which we do our set reviews. I'd like you to talk about kind of what we're going to be doing today. Yeah, so if you listen to other set reviews on shows, they're typically just like a top eight or a top ten. And we're going to be doing kind of a similar idea, but with more context. So instead of having, you know, like a number seven card, we're trying to give you some like caveat as to why it's like good, but kind of better or whatever. We just have different categories that we're going to talk about each of the cards. In. And at the start of every category, we're going to give you a little breakdown of sort of what that category means. That way you have an idea for why we're talking about that card. So, for example, Spencer's about to start us here with Sleepers. And Sleepers are sort of cards that we think are going to be playable, but aren't really getting their time in the sun, and people aren't really respecting them. That's the name Sleeper. And Spencer, take us off. Well, we can't sleep on our sponsors before we move into the actual set review. I'd like to uh, welcome our newest sponsor to the Constructor Criticism family, and that is Heavy Play. Uh, Heavy Play is making really, really good gear to be jamming within Magic, whether it be playmats, sleeves, deck boxes. Um, they got had a booth at Atlanta that people got to check out, and then they, we were lucky enough for them to offer us a sponsorship. And I got to say, Mason, uh, Mason was like, wait till you see the X or wait till you see Y when he's telling me about it. And the playmat, I, I unboxed it, and I probably texted Abe and Mason like 20 times about this playmat unboxing experience that I had. Because it was the coolest playmat ever. I, I went took it to my RCQ over at um, Kayfabe Cards. And when I opened it up and put it on the, the, the table, my opponent went, Whoa, where'd you get that? <laughs> and I was like, that's like, that's a solid endorsement, if ever. The other cool thing is, like, I'm a, I'm a huge, the way that I shuffle, right, is, bottom, is from the bottom, I know, that, that jam shuffle. And those curved sleeves were amazing and i just want to say bringing endorsement from quentin pierce who tried my other ones i was trying to get you know lend out some different stuff to people to get feedback before the sponsorship quinn took them to his next rcq at oasis games also 
the sleeves were like the number one talk of both RCQs. People wanted to shuffle our decks. They wanted to check them out. Um, and uh, I can say, honestly, that both me and Quentin, they're my favorite sleeves I've ever used. So I've already been asked by multiple people where they can get some. Yeah, I used, so they're kind of, well, technically, I approached them and then we had a conversation. They're like, oh, we want to talk to you. And we wanted to make sure that we really tried this product before we actually talked about it on the show, because it, it is a thing where it's like, oh, curved sleeves, how's that going to work? It, you know, it, it's one of those things you do want to kind of get your hands on. It's not like, oh, it's like when Katana's first appeared, you know, it's like, that's just like the same thing, but kind of different. And that's what I really like about these sleeves is that they didn't just rebrand the same kind of thing that people are already doing they're trying to improve on the process same with the deck boxes you know like there's a lot of really great deck box products out there but these actually use hardened plastic and are designed with a slight magnets on the back to stick to the play mat which you don't have to use them for but you can then you just carry your play mat around and they are very strong i've tried really hard if you shake really hard they will fly but like if you're just walking around like a normal person they stick to it pretty well, including like I feel like purposely tried bumping into my own table, didn't fall off. But I played them for the SCGs; they were really good. And you know, I like love the deck box, love the sleeves. It was great. Um, and they even have inner sleeves to match their curved sleeves. So overall, it was a great product. And if you're interested in checking it out, you can go to their website and use code CCMTG to get ten percent off all your orders. Yeah, I, and I, I'll just say this: the the dice box sticking to the playmat. After you've opened that dice box and stick it to itself and put it on the playmat, that stuff's not going anywhere. And we all know the number of times that, like, somebody hits a dice box and, like, dice just literally go everywhere. Once again, that's CCMTG for 10% off. Don't forget our other sponsor, UntappedGG. We are an affiliate of them. They were really helpful for me when I was multitasking, uh, playing Abe's Mono Red deck uh, the last couple days. Uh, you know, really, you, it's a lot easier to play when you just know your percentages to draw. Everything can just pull up your deck instantly. Uh, it, it is just like a really cool program. And if you're an arena gamer, you should definitely be have an account, uh, you know, and use our affiliate link to sign up. All right. We didn't sleep on our sponsors, and we're not sleeping on these cards. First up, I have no doubt that you guys will like this one. All right. So Reasonable Doubt is an instant. It costs one, a blue. Uh, for counter-target spell nonsense control plays two, suspect up to one target creature. Now, this set is actually giving us some other really powerful uh, counter spells, and this is the first time that we have suspect, so I'm going to read it for the listeners. A suspected creature has menace and can't block. Um, I really like this card in a multitude of ways for tempo decks, um, you know, whether it be the, like, the blue-black mid-range deck, whether it be, uh, you know, whether, you know, if you're playing, like, a blue-red uh, spells, uh, deck in standard potentially the the thing is is that the suspect works on both offense and defense right i can make it so their creature can't block but i can also give my creature menace um so it kind of it kind of just just sweet uh in that regard and i think is a pretty reasonable upgrade to some of the other things that we have in these slots right now even with even better ones coming that certain decks won't be able to play yeah, I think uh, like finding the right deck that's going to want to play play this effect, like it's going to have creatures on board and casting counter spells, is like not too hard right now in the format. We literally just talked about how blue black is one of the best decks in the format before the set release, and especially in a deck with I mean just like Gix in it or like flyers, 
being able to have like a menace flyer you're probably not blocking with it anyway suddenly makes it so they can't just like trade off with their random tokens to their own flyers in combat and that's just like really powerful and as much as it doesn't have the like upside of make disappear um of like oh well i can make sure i counter the spell i need to counter just there's, there's a lot of stuff you can do with having suspect or, or a lot of value to be gained by using this to kind of use a counterflow to also manipulate combat on the following turn and kind of like in a way your opponent might not be able to expect so uh yeah i can definitely see this card being something that has a role to play and i think it'll be interesting to see how it uh how it all shakes out yeah like you're in a racing situation your opponent casts like a creature or whatever maybe they have like something that's back on defense suddenly you counter their their spell make it so their shielder can't block or whatever right like that is a big part of it too assuming you can afford to get menace down i am curious how does the spec work with vehicles i would imagine it loses the text as it becomes an artifact and goes back to being a vehicle oh, yeah. but that would be really good with schooner is something that jumped out to me yeah that is interesting that that could be pretty powerful i don't what else does Spectre? Let me pull back up. Yeah, because I was reading it, and I will say this: I know that in the game you actually put a counter. They have like little cutouts for suspected creatures, so I could see a thing where your thing actually stays suspected. That's like an interesting uh, question to ask a judge about. Yeah, um, if you, uh, you know, we could we could uh, ask Garrison this question. Next up, I have demand answers. I, this card, I want to say that like, while I understand that this might not be a sleep for some people. I still think people haven't caught on to like how much better this card is than some of its counterparts. Uh, and that is an instant for a red and one. As an additional cost to the spell, sacrifice an artifact, or discard a card, draw two cards. Why both? Why is this an either or, Abe? This seems uh, they gotta so... keep up with uh, Deadly Dispute. I just don't understand. It, inflation, man. It's crazy. I just, this card, what's so funny is like the, the most of what I've seen this card talked about is actually in Popper. Like, people are like, they're talking about this card a lot on Popper, but there are so many artifacts lying around in games of Magic now that I would be shocked if this card just isn't usually draw two cards. Um, and, and you know, it also can feed uh, you know different types of strategies with that discard ability, things like that. I think this card's a total sleeper. I think that it is undervalued how much better this card is than its counterparts. And honestly, like how easy this will be to just be an instant speed draw two with like counter like tokens that you would have never used. Yeah, I think something else about this card that I really appreciate is that like Oni Cult Anvil kind of is in the market for ways to get rid of excess artifacts or justify playing more artifacts and also find the right mix of things. Where Deadly Dispute was a card that was like really important to that deck because it could sacrifice like its random creatures or artifact creatures and, and get another artifact out of the deal. This plays a similar role while being just a little more castable and maybe even having reason to use the the discard to draw um and so like the floor of thrill of possibility which is fine but the upside of you know enabling some of the more powerful cards in uh like a kind of untouched engine deck that, that's kind of not having the tools to shine right now it just seems like it it could easily have a home and that's not even talking about like you know even just in like pioneer there's a lot of ways that this could be used just for the ability to like sacrifice an artifact and, and cash in on that uh, for the cards in, in the right shell. And so, you know, it's just, anytime you're seeing a card that's already on the fringe of, of, uh, of playability, get an upgrade of just here. Now it's just better. Uh, that, that's a card that obviously is going to have applications. Yeah. I think it's really big to remember too, because you might be at home thinking like, well, I already have deadly dispute. 
but Deadly Dispute locks you into black. And in formats like Modern and those kind of things, that's less of a problem to be like locked into one color. But for formats like Standard and Pioneer and Popper to some extent, like the fact that you can now be a red something deck with a card like this really does actually change up a lot of like what your deck can be. Because maybe before you needed to be, let's say, a Grixis deck to make it work, to have Deadly Dispute. Well, now, you know, you have Experimental Synthesize, you have this card, you've got something going, and you can pair that with just blue or just green, and selling your mana is a lot better. And that's something that's very important, actually, is having functional mana. So I think this card is really cool and actually opens up the potential for whole new decks in a way that maybe Deadly Dispute seems like it would, but maybe doesn't in practice. I just want to say, kind of before we move on, that this section, like, this is one of the reasons I love the Pick 2 set review so much. Like, neither of my cards would have made a top 10 list, like, in any world. Uh, but we got to talk about these, these cards, and I'm reasonably excited for them. Mason, uh, I'm also reasonably excited for some of your cards. Why don't you go next? Yeah, so first up is Case of the Uneaten Beast, and somehow I get caught having to explain a weird mechanic again in a set review, but such is life. Uh, so Cases are enchantments, and they do the first thing on the top box. So when you look at it in case, there's going to be a top box, the middle box, and the bottom box. Kind of like a, a saga. So this one says on its top box, which it just has as long as it's on the battlefield, whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, gain a life. So it, it has a Johnny's presence, um, as long as it's your creature. Then to solve the case, you gain five or more life this turn. So that doesn't have to be from this. You could play, you know, Revitalize or whatever, or some gain five life card. And then solving the case, sacrifice this creature's cards in your graveyard <laughs> gain. You may cast this card from your graveyard until end of turn. Um, so what I like about this card is Ajani's Welcome and these kind of like gainy life cards have always been like fringe playable and very popular. So a subset of players. And this is like a, the strongest version of that that we've ever seen, which is cool. But also it has you looking at the like, hey, gaining life synergies could be really powerful what can you do as the payoff with this? And I think for something like Martyr and Modern or like anything in that kind of ballpark where gaining life is a big part of it and you have a lot of cheap creatures that you could replay, if you are considering playing the Ajani card, you could play this card instead. Um, and you just would because it's just better most of the time. No, it's actually better all the time. Johnny's Welcome actually is only your creatures anyway. So it's just a strict upgrade. True. Yeah, I think... You have to solve this. Oh, um, I see. You don't get the... You yeah, you don't get the choice to do I it, see. is my understanding. But, which I, I think for the most part is an upside, but it is like, legally, there's a downside and I must close it to you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, is you that, know, I don't know if that's actually true. Cause is that not true? It enters the solved... Because it's a card that moves through like states, right? Once it gets yeah. solved, you put like a, a solved status on it. But the solving oh, no. happens at the end step. So then it just has the text... Sacrifice this case, creature cards your graveyard gain, you may cast this card from your graveyard until turn. I think it's on it's on your Does your it keep the first ability? It does. It always has the whenever oh, a creature in his Then yeah, this that is, part then this is just a strict upgrade to a Johnny's Welcome. Perfect. Well, yeah, and, and you know, a Johnny's Welcome, not a card that has like one approach or anything. I've got high mythic before that card in historic. I am, I am also I was gonna mention that deck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like th this card is just strong and like if you have, they're like, and they, they always do this. They print some strong Ajani Pride Meat variant, a creature that grows off life gain. And in a format, like maybe modern, like I mentioned with modern cards, or maybe Pioneer with a life-focused deck, I don't think this is very good in Amalia. 
But like in a deck that was focused around those things in Heliod, this card could be very, very strong and a way to battle through your opponent having a bunch of kill spells, which is typically the problem for these decks. So that's why I like this card. Oh, it's interesting you don't think it's good in Amalia. Like, I wouldn't play several copies of this card, but I think the first copy as like a fifth, like Lunark veteran spot mm -hmm. does have a lot of merit just because it gives you a way to like, like if you come close coming or like if you just explore once or whatever, especially on the decks playing uh, Sentinel, the the three four that makes a map when it comes to player attacks, mm -hmm. like that plus Wild Growth Walker plus this is like very close to five already. If you just like get one trigger off the Wild Growth Walker, and then you have like a rally kind of just sitting in play, in addition to being mm -hmm. your okay, I'm going to play the cards from hand in combo, uh, mm -hmm. like potential. So I'm, it's not a card I would say like playing four of because the deck has so many reasons to want to play so many creatures. But I do think the ability is like pretty sweet and has enough overlap to be worth like considering in in, in the right spots. Yeah, I could definitely see like one. I wouldn't want to play like a ton of these, so I, I totally respect and understand having one. I think it is it is just hard. Like the space is so tight, and I'm already like wanting to move off Coco in the deck because like you have so many things that make it bad, and you're a bad Coco deck that like adding this kind of hurts. But if you're like using those kind of slots for cards like this in small numbers, and I could totally see that. So I just want to mention like I think we've mentioned the sunset reviews before, but when I see a rare symbol on a card like this, it makes me think that the card might be pretty tuned, like that it was it was worked on pretty heavily. Uh, at, at Watsi or they have a reason to believe that it should be rare outside of just like it does a unique thing but I, I don't know I, I I personally have played a Johnny's Welcome uh, like like Mason uh, early historic days uh, you know getting getting those pride mates up and uh, it, it was actually quite a good deck for a little while uh, for a hot minute there easily could get everybody anybody wanted it mythic and that was a that was a powerful Format is kind of similar to what our standard format looks like right now in size, I think. If I'm not mistaken about kind of the size that Historic was to to start off, it was it was very close to what standard will look like when this card comes in, so I wouldn't count it out. Yep, and I think in Modern, the Modern Park stuff is just pretty reasonable. Um, you just want to play these kind of cards. Uh, so there you go. Martyr Park Truthers, drink the Kool-Aid. But for everyone else, let's move on to Breakout, uh, which is a sorcery for red and a green. It says, look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card from among them. If that creature has mana value two or less, you may put it onto the battlefield, and it gains haste until end of turn. If you didn't put that revealed card into the battlefield, put it into your hand, put the rest on the bottom of your deck in a random order. So two mana for look at the top six to put any creature into your hand. I probably wouldn't play in a lot of formats, I would play in some decks. But when you add the put the thing into play clause and give it haste, I think this card opens up a ton of possibilities and a ton of different decks. I think, obviously, people jump to combo applications like Devoted Druid, you know, like, we got another card. The time is now, you know. But, like, that is a strong gain for the deck. There's, like, just aggressive decks. Like, maybe you have, like, an A plus B combo and you also, like, are beating down then like this could be good so it's a card that looks kind of weird and looks like i would argue a typically a card i might poo poo but the giving haste and putting the thing immediately on the battlefield i think is un going underappreciated right now i haven't seen much talk about it and this card's just pretty good and if it does hit a bigger mana value card in your deck you're still not whipping so your fail rate is often you know draw a card 
if this card had been in standard for green red devotion uh, it would have played this card with burning tree emissary i have actually zero doubt that you would have given basically anything to be playing this many burning tree emissaries and you know with Kongon, i don't know maybe we go back to like a burning tree hyper aggressive build of the deck that that plays like Dragonlord uh, Atarka or something. Hold up, I'm looking at Bard Class 8. Yeah, I was <laughs> actually about to say Bard Class. Oh, yeah, no, and that was the whole statement. You can red green and find find the right legend. Oh, that's hot. I, I, oh. If they enter the battlefield, it's not when they're cast. We got the Bard Class card. <laughs> it's another Bard Class card. The, the, jokes, yeah. jokes. Well, we can go into Bard Class, but I actually do think that like yeah. if you are in the market for a Burning Tree Ambinistary Devotion style deck, that this is, this is the home freaking run, like un unbelievable. Uh, the pips that it will get you. Yeah, I think if you just play Burning Tree now that you mention it, and like you have some extra slots where you have some like strong A plus B combo. I mean, Burning Tree into this is just probably like two things, right? Like it's a pretty good fail case for your Burning Tree. Yeah, my thought uh, for this card immediately was like. More of the combo applications, like, you can play it in Jeskai Ascendancy, which already has, like, the free splash and brings you already playing it. Um, but, like, Ascendancy, being able to get your carried it on board or, uh, what is it, Loam, the Loam Speaker on board um, in Pioneer is just another way to make that deck more consistent. And also, specifically getting it in play with haste on the same turn means that from, like, any spot where you have a resolved, uh, a resolved Ascendancy you're just that much more potent and also that much more consistent when there's so many like other things this card can do while also just being and it like it triggers your ascendancy it, it does it all kind of and, and sets you up really well to, to find your condition and also kind of like you said spencer like in the context of like this red green deck uh would be like if you have top end creatures that you're willing to pay two mana to find because they're that impactful and also the fail rate of, well, I'll just get my two drop in as haste, and that's, like, pretty good. Um, so, like, get something on board. That's still just a really strong card. Like, looking at six cards to find to find something is a lot. Like, Impulse finds anything at four cards, and that card's, like, the best card selection you can get at two mana. And this is a red-green sorcery that sees, uh, like, one and a half times as many cards as that. So... Any amount of like creature based combo. Well, also, I mean, they just ban Fury, but being a red green card that like finds you other things, like this is a great card with Omnath, probably a, a great player in Pioneer. Like, I could see a world where the Niv Visit decks play this if there was like a reason, or like Omnath decks play this if there's a reason to not play like Bring the Lights and stuff. All right, Abe, you are up next. Why don't you shoot us with your first one? Yeah, so my first sleeper is Prost's Eidetic Memory. Uh, which is a one in a blue legendary enchantment that when it enters the battlefield, you draw a card. Uh, you have no maximum hand size. And at the beginning of combat on your turn, if you've drawn more than one card this turn, you put X plus one plus one counters on target creature you control, where X is the number of cards you've drawn this turn, minus one. I don't think I've seen anyone really talk about trying to do anything with this card, but I think that in general, cards that allow you to continue to pile stats on the board while spending your mana to draw cards are just like fundamentally dangerous right like part of the reward of like drawing cards is that oh in the future i'll get the payoff of like getting to do something to the game 
uh, and I'll have more resources than I'll have access to. But it's at the cost of spending my mana on doing that rather than impact the board right now. Whenever you're able to impact the board right now while also generating resources for the future, especially at a low cost like this, like at its floor, this card is, okay, two mana, I have no maximum hand size, draw a card, put a plus one counter on my creature when I move to combat. That's already just a powerful, not super powerful, but it's still a, a good effect. Um, and the fact you get to repeat that every turn with any future amount of card draw you have, and especially right now with flow of knowledge in standard, there's just a real potential to, especially playing the Mondo Blue deck, like jockey for a position where your opponent, like you just have like a flying creature around, you get them to tap out for their thing. Maybe you have the counter spell, maybe you don't. But if you have this card in play, or you know it's late in the game, you have like seven mana. You can just cast this card, cast Flow. And they're getting eight counters on something, and that is a lot. Like there's ways to draw a lot of cards in number um, in blue already, and so I think this card has potential to like do much more than nothing in that. And I think also like between that and like the Ozolith in in green, like there could be a blue green kind of clues and and beat down stuff or like you know cantrip creature stuff there's a lot this card can do and i just think that the the foundational principles of what the card allows you to do and how it rewards you for drawing cards in a way that impacts the board is really strong and i'm not sure people have really identified that i love that i will say that i think it has some nombos with the mono blue stuff because it really cares about your stuffing instant sorcery is however it does have a pretty strong uh, friend in Standard and Ledger Shredder uh, that also wants to be doing these things, which is pretty interesting to me. Yeah, I, I, Ledger Shredder was a card that jumped out to me when you're talking about this, like, oh, two spells, you know, I always get a counter now, right, including my connive. But I think another thing that jumps out to me is, like, prowess decks often have to play a bunch of burn spells, but they want to have some sort of, like, card selection as well or a way to, like, move through the deck and keep chaining. And this lets you do things, you know, ironically not with sleight of hand very well, but with other ones like consider where you can like kind of chain for a little bit. Your Swiss beer grows some from the prowess for this turn, and this helps it grow long term. Uh, that I think is pretty appealing and maybe opens up like a blue red prowess e type deck that plays a little differently because now like your cantrips are actually something where your way to draw cards really matter. And there's also maybe a world where like you know we see a new type of blue deck pop up like a blue X that kind of gave me a mention with blue green, but I could definitely see this card seeing a lot of play and being really strong. Spencer, is this the home for your otter? Dude, maybe. I mean, you got that and ledger shredder together. You know, that's you're cooking with, you're cooking with something. I, that's interesting. And it's blue green. Yeah. Something to think about. Something to think about. The next sleeper I have is analyze the pollen. And there's a real Mason Clark card because uh, this is where we get to talk about how playing more cards that are like lands in your deck are good. But I'll talk about the card first. Uh, it's a single green sorcery. Uh, it has as an additional cost to cast the spell, you may collect evidence eight. Now, collect evidence um, is where you can exile cards with a total mana value of the number it asks of you or greater from your graveyard as an additional cost to do something or to ca like cast a spell or use an ability. And the card says, search library for a basic land card. If evidence was collected, instead, search library for a creature or land card, reveal that card, put it in your hand, and then shuffle. Uh, at first, I was, like, not very 
interested in this card. It seemed like it was going to be really, really difficult to actually collect the evidence unless you were some sort of trade off every card mid range deck. And those decks haven't really had the time in a while to play a Lay of the Land. Um, but then it dawned on me that this card is actually so close to being enabled by using a single herd migration to go find a land out of the domain deck that this could like enable a world where domain is able to play like one fewer Atraxa have one more way to find the right land type it needs or, or find the right, like find its second white source or whatever. Um, you know, maybe if the deck needs like starts ramping a bit less because it's a little susceptible to that, this still allows you to have uh, a high virtual land count or find that Archangel of Wrath you need or, or find that Cavern of Souls you need to fight through the counter magic um, simply by using your setup spells effectively. And I, I feel like it's like the number eight is a pretty high number. But when you're building with it in mind, there's a lot of things this can do. And like just having your one attract. So, or even like in Pioneer, just having like, I mean, Emrakul is like kind of a bad example. That's the one meant to pair with Traverse. But having whatever your Haymaker is be something that doesn't have to rely on you having Delirium in order to tutor it up consistently, like you do with the next best in class in uh, Traverse Uvenwald. Like that is a very, very real upside. And I think that uh, I think there's like real potential for this card to to make that impact, especially when it's surrounded by um, by the tools to do it. Yeah, I think like going off picking up in Pioneer, like if you look at the uh, sorry the Soul Player decks, uh, they often have too many creatures in the graveyard, and they need some way to like make land drops and find Soul Flayer in friend, like uh, Yogmoth Scavenger, I believe it's its name, or Urborg Scavenger, excuse me, which is like the mini Soul Player. So. This card works really well with that as well. So like make your early land drops and then get rid of an excess thing and then you know find your soul flare. Um, but I will also say that there's a weird thing with this card that I haven't seen many people really talk about. I don't know exactly how to use, but I think it's worth mentioning. You can exile most of your graveyard to this card because you can over evidence. And I don't know why I want to over evidence yet, but I think it's important to talk about that you could get rid of like basically your entire graveyard minus a singular card if you wanted to some reason like stack the odds on a card that's like target a random card in your graveyard which like they do things like that on occasion so just a, a weird thing to keep in mind but I, I like this card it's cool to make a gigantic merchite region unironically you would <laughs> grow your mer like you could get rid of yeah. all the lands in your yard too i don't know why you would but you could like <laughs> just something to mention all right, uh, Mason Clark, Mason Clark, Mason Clark. The number of times where I have just put dig up, I was like, you know, maybe this deck just wants a dig up. Like you just like change things because this deck wants a dig up because of how hard you sold me on dig up during our pick two set review is too darn many. And so somebody's going to need to prove this to me. Dig up was an ape card. Oh, anyway, uh, I've seen a lot of Lay of the Lands. You got to convince me on every Lay of the Land. I'm not convinced that any Lay of the Land has ever really been that good, so. It wasn't until the Herd Migration thing that I was like, this is Lay of the Land and maybe your third attraction. I do think the, the like the Herd Migration thing is real. Uh, like, Striped Riverwinder type cards are real. Uh, we have some new Land Cyclers. I, I'm from, not saying it's uh, impossible. Uh, I'm just saying prove yeah. it to me. Like, I just, like, this is one of those 
prove it to me. Thank yeah. Peek behind the curtains, you said the land cyclers. The way that I got to this card was that I started by being like, oh, wow, there's a six mana, like two mana basic land cycler. That's probably like playable in something. And then I was like, there's a seven mana land cycler that gains you life and is also a four of or three of in the best deck in standard by many accounts. Mm-hmm. That's probably a better card. Those are awesome, Abe. Let's move on to favorites. So favorites are just, for whatever reason, we want to talk about this card. It's our favorite in the set. It could be our favorite for many reasons. It could be because you think the basic land art is sweet. It could be... Uh, <laughs> Abe. <laughs> I love it. Uh, it could be because you just, you know, the it spoke to you in some way. Kind of like both of mine did for me. We're going to go first with uh, Axe Bane Ferox is my first favorite. Is two green green for a beast, death touch haste, and has ward collect evidence four. So first of all, death touch haste on a four four for four, that's already a banger. But I actually when this when I sent this card to um to my friend Matt and I was like collect evidence four is like kind of a lot to just like have against an aggressive deck to start out, right? Like it's possible that like you know that you curve out and it's it's pretty easy for you. Um, but it, it seems like it could be kind of difficult to really get this thing off the board right when you want to get it off the board. It, yeah, I think that's that's true. And also, it, you can just set up situations where they can never collect evidence for. Like, if you just have a rest in peace in play, or like you lay line of the void them, good luck. It's going to get countered. Whatever you're casting target it is countered. You can't pay ward. That's like a pretty easy situation to set up if you want to and it forces your opponent to have like a very specific set of answers to this creature yeah and it's like you're gonna want to play rest in peace at some point or some card like that like it's just gonna happen yeah i, I think that you know it has a lot of competitions in older formats right now it's only competition in standard is like Uben world oddity but honestly like Uben world oddity's problem right now in standard uh, i guess you could also say um uh thunder raiju is, is some competition for this card too um but, you know, like, the, the hasty four-drop big stuff slot is, you know, it, it's actually kind of smaller than it than it used to be in Standard. Um, so I, I could totally see this, like, either in a Gruul deck or maybe you're, like, an aggressively slanted uh, black-green deck um, or even green-white deck. Like, I think that there's many decks that would want this card in Standard, and it is it is big boy. And I also really like that it, it attacks into... Uh, Sheldred profitably, which is kind of hard for some of these creatures to do, because I think that you would happily trade this for a Sheldred in a lot of cases if you're playing that style of deck, so that's kind of so I also think the art is hot. Come on. Look at that good boy. It's also a proper beast. Beasts are often underrepresented these days. Dinosaurs and, and you know, whatever, whatever the, the monster of the week is. Good old-fashioned beast. How could you hate that? You can't, and I don't. Uh, I'm going to get this name wrong, and this is me really trying. Uh, Kylox's Volt Strider is next. This is my next favorite. Um, this is one, a blue and a red for an artifact vehicle. Uh, you can collect evidence six, and then it becomes an artifact creature until end of turn. Uh, whenever Kylox Volt Strider attacks, you may cast an instant sorcery spell from among cards exiled with it. If that spell will be put into a graveyard, Put it on the bottom of its owner's library instead. And it has crew two. First of all, I'm not convinced that this card isn't good. But also, I just really like the design of this card, which is why it hit my favorites. Where 
you get to like you can always like collect evidence once you get a six to give it more fuel for the fire and then like crew two cost is actually really small for a four four like historically i i think that it's like aggressively costed does a cool thing and even if it never sees plays because there's never like the right support for it this is like just a sweet magic card that i'm sure people will, will get enjoyment out of at their kitchen table and that i will personally try to play with a bunch in standard yeah, I gotta say, first of all, I think you did pronounce it correctly, which is, like, you know, hats off to you. Uh, but B, that it is a card that does something so unique and cool on its own, and also is just functional outside of that. Like, you only have to collect evidence with it, like, one time for it to really start being a card advantage engine, because once you have that, like, let's say you get, like, you know, a lightning strike and an opt under there, or a consider, and, like... Or, or maybe you just exile a treasure cruise to it, right? In in Pioneer or something. You exile a treasure cruise to it, you attack for four. You don't cast that turn. Next turn, you crew it with something. You're attacking, you can cast something else out of there. So it's not like you just have access to cards, you exile that turn with it. You, like by getting one activation, now have it fed for several attacks. And that just makes it a really, really cool like value engine creature while also being like a really like solid like you said like aggressively like slanted body on its own before you can get to that so it is just a really really sweet card and and i also just like the bubbles all over the art i don't know is it bubbles is pretty cool just me the card opens up a lot of things and it weirdly leans into and I, I didn't even think about this when i was saying it earlier but like the overpaying like, your opponent might have a card, like, unlicensed Hearse in play, and you dump a bunch of things, and you're just like, collect evidence 15, you know, and now they're all in there. And whenever it attacks, like, that also counts when you normally crew it as well, because you're not locked into crewing it via the collect evidence way. So I think this card's probably actually pretty strong in the right spots and very cool, and I'm excited to see what people do with it. All right, Mason, you're up next. What is your first favorite? My first is Ill-Timed Explosion. This is a sorcery. Draw two cards, then you may discard two cards. When you do ill-time explosion, deals X damage to each creature. X is the highest mana value among cards discarded this way. Just kind of a cool, like, is it wrath effect? Like, draw some cards, clean the board up a little bit. You know, it might set up your creativity, might set up your, you know, reenact the crime. Admittedly, that's a lot of mana, but like, you know, this kind of card is pretty cool, and I like it, and it there's a lot of weird reanimator-ish things you can do in standard right now, and this card lets you open up like a whole new version of that. So that's why it's my favorite. I really love uh, when I read this card the first time. I was like a big fan. I was I thought to myself, this is like a very Spencer card. It like uh, it reminds me of I oh, dude. I had such a what's the name of the like instant three blue red. Hypothesizal. Yeah, I, I was such a hypothesizal guy. I like tried that in so many decks. Just reminds me of that. It's kind of fan. Yeah, I think this is also just probably one of the strongest cards in the set. Like, in addition to being really sweet as just a oh, you know, format draw two that has the upside of card selection and wrath of God. Like, it does not take a lot for this card to clean up most problems in standard. Um, even like some dead soft counter magic or like, uh, you know, the wrong piece of interaction or like a threat you don't need, like any four drop, another copy of this 
is four mana deal four to the board, draw two, discard two. Um, discarding like a mate spear you can't cast probably cleans up a lot of like the token stuff going on in uh, in like decks like soldiers or um, just a lot of the small ball stuff. And in your best case, like you're saying, Mason, like Cruelty of Gix is a card that is pretty good. There are already decks that are built around playing like um, Break the Multiverse, which is a strong seven drop. You could play a deck that is Grixis and plays those really strong black cards or enables those really strong black cards pretty easily with low mana requirements. And this card would be the full package in not only giving you access to the resources to use those cards at face, but also to set you up to like, you know, get to a, a board state where you're going to be able to use, uh, use that effectively, even with just something like Carnosaur, right? Like that alone is just a really, really potent card at all stages. And this is a great card to hit off of Carnosaur because you can just sweep lower things than it do. So I think this card has a ton of potential and application in standard and maybe even beyond that. Um, like I could maybe see a world where this is a card that's in the sideboard of Arclight Phoenix in Pioneer, just as like, a, you know, maybe I've historically had trouble with the mono-white matchups. I have so many things to to answer all the time, and it's hard for me to, like, really clear the board with the sweepers I have access to, but here's one where I am able to, like, draw to discard an Arclight Phoenix and something else, or, like, a Treasure Cruise that is going to be too much, and now I'm answering everything, Adeline's or otherwise. Uh, and I just think that's, like, a really, really cool and strong effect, and, and it's... Yeah, it, it might be. It was like going to be a card I was going to put as a hit, uh, if not for just how many strong. My other card is Deadly Cover Up. This is three black, black for a sorcery. As additional cost to cast this spell, you may collect Evidence Six. Important to note, it's a may collect. Destroy all creatures. If Evidence was collected, exile a card from your opponent's graveyard, then search its owner's library, hand, and graveyard for any number of cards with the same name and exile them. That player shuffles, then draws cards for each card to exile this way from their hand. Two big things to note about this card. One is that it is any card from the graveyard. So uh, when I cast the Wrath Effect, I can like hit your you know Treasure Cruise or whatever, right? Like maybe I just cast this because I just need to. So it counts as like a bad surgical extraction as like a really bad fail case, but a fail case nonetheless. And two, because it's a May on the Collect Evidence, you can still just play this as like, you know, your bad five mana wrath that you might play in a standard deck. So I think this card is very cool. It is a brand new. We've seen this with uh, the end and the, uh, not Theros, uh, Eldraine recently. So there's weirdly just like a lot of black kill and then exile everything from your deck. I, I know that like we never, these effects have always been overrated, but there's something to me thinking about like, what if I played a black mid range deck in standard where like my wrath, and my kill spell, which is sometimes hyper-efficient if I'm losing, just also got rid of all the other threats. Like, it might not be that bad, but it's so against conventional wisdom because normally you have to spend a card to get this effect, but now we're getting a lot of cards with that effect stapled on as upside. So I would like Devil Co Deadly Cover-Up. I'm curious what y'all think. And the art's insane as well. Could be on here just for that. I want to strip mine somebody in cube with this card so bad because it can take basic lands. Yep. This was the okay. this was the joke in my my chat about this card was uh, finally a card that makes strip mine playable, which I thought was really funny. Uh, mm. But outside of that, I do actually think that um, just the ability to you know wrath the board for five mana something we've already been paying for recently. Uh, you know, 
I think I think that this card can easily find a situation where it's collected other than six. And actually, if we're being honest, it could be better in the domain mirror. Uh, you know, if we think about like the way the domain decks are constructed right now, we've already seen people starting to do things like bring in the um, the adventure card. Virtue of Persistence. Virtue of Persistence, right? As like it, it, one of its removal spells. So like we've already started to lean more towards our black mana. I think this card could totally end up seeing standard play in, in just that deck. Yeah, I mean, I think this card has applications too as being like a role player on both ends. Like this is kind of like a, uh, a slaughter game style effect you can play in your deck that's otherwise interacting. Like if you're like a black X mid-range deck that has like discard spells or like a blue light control deck with some counter magic, playing in something where they have either a really, really limited number of kill conditions or like only certain really good interaction, you don't have to get something that dies from the sweeper itself. So it doesn't just get creatures, like it gets even basic lands, but you can even just get like their best draw spell or their best threat or their combo piece. Uh, and at the cost of like collecting evidence six, if you're doing things to kind of trade resources up until that point, which in a lot of the spots where that effect is really good and, and is so, so good that you want to enable it, you likely can um, and are looking to in the game. This is going to be good enough on turn five. Like, that's good. And the, like, destroy all creatures at five mana being the, the floor of the card is honestly not all that, not all that bad, right? So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's a, a pretty sweet one. Awesome. Hey, I really like your deduction there. Would you like to move on to your first favorite? Yeah, so my first favorite uh, is Deduce. Hence, Spencer's nice little pun there. But Deduce is a very simple card. It's one in a blue, instant, draw a card, investigate. I have played a lot of Think Twice in my day. I'm actually a big Think Twice truther, because I think that it's really cool to have a card that just says, do nothing, but if you find a time to do nothing again, you get rewarded. Kind of like bails you out for, for play, being a deck that does nothing. But this is just like, it's not necessarily a strict upgrade because there are applications of maybe your opponent makes you discard cards, you discard things twice, and then you're able to flash back. But in terms of just if you're using it as I want to draw two cards, it is one mana cheaper than that. And it has the additional benefit of being like draw a card, create an artifact, which with uh, indomitable creativity or um, you know, a lot of those effects, there's a lot of ways to use a game object that are and especially artifacts that like two mana without spending a card create an artifact let alone the fact that it's an artifact that draws you a card itself too so it's like also just distinct twice um is definitely a a really strong card at instant speed for a lot of these decks that are kind of looking to play combo control games of i'll leave up my interaction but also i need to be setting up and then they can kind of get punished by maybe leaving up interaction when they should have set up, or or vice versa. This lets them do both, and also in those games where you're playing control deck and, and trying to control a game, this gives you just another card and another way to pull ahead of uh, of your opponent in in the raw resources. So I think this card not only has some potential to be like some some grease in the wheels, um, but it's also just a one that's a, a personal favorite. I also think that blue white control in Pioneer has a chance to maybe get a little bit more permissive in the way it's built and play a little bit more counter magic and stuff, the more it gets cards like this that make it so that more turns of the game, especially in the early game, it's not getting super punished 
for leaving open all of its mana. Like the, the four mana breakpoint in that deck is so important because of the Wandering Emperor and Memory Deluge. That it's like, okay, I can either be getting more cards to get into the next stage of the game, or I can be interacting with the board, depending on what my opponent makes me do. This is another card that allows those double threat situations of, okay, I'll counter your spell, but maybe you like forced me to right, you didn't play your thing into my counter spell. So now the man I left up to to do something I didn't get to do anything with. Now I have a card that helps me hit my land drops and use my mana when I'm at that stage while also leaving up to counter all of your spells. And that can be really, really impactful in how those games develop. And I think is a card that a deck like Blood Control Pioneer could could easily play a copy or two of quite happily, if not more. Yeah, I think this this card, you know, follows rectangle theory pretty well to the point where it, it could just be a better thing twice in a lot of situations. I don't know how far past think twice we've moved as like, you know, magic gamers, uh, as far as like the way that what what you're rewarded for in magic. But you know, it's cheaper than think twice. Um, it just it doesn't have I can't forbid an alchemy into it like the hotness that we could in standard. But you know, I, I think that it, the upside of having a, a something laying on the battlefield is a, a good enough improvement. So. Yeah, I think think twice is its floor, not its ceiling, right? Like, it is better to be like, oh, the worst case scenario this card is, it's a think twice, and more often enables my weird artifact synergy slash payoff thing. Yeah, I think this plus creativity just makes a lot of sense. So, it's a cool card. I really like it. Yeah, my other uh, my other favorite from the set is Outrageous Robbery, robbery which is uh, Black Black X Instant. So this target opponent exiles the top X cards of their library face down. You may look at and play those cards for as long as they remain exiled. If you cast a spell this way, you may spend mana as though were mana of any any type to cast it. I just love playing my opponent's cards. I, this is like a card I, I can't wait to draft in like Arena Cube or just any cube. Like there's not not much more fun than than playing with the cards that your opponent has in them. I love Siphon Insight for the same reason. And so this is just a big dose of that. I, th- I think it's really awesome. Isn't there a Consultar Cure card that is the exact same for one more mana in in Soul Deck Colors? It's a little bit different. There's a Villainous Wealth, yeah, which I also thought of as the parallel because it's another set with a bunch of face-down creatures. But Villainous Wealth, you... Um, it's kind of like a Genesis wave off their deck. You like pay the three end X, and then you like exile the manif- X cards. Do you manifest you can... all of them? No, you can play all of them with mana value X or less. Oh, okay. So it's like if you do it for five, you look at the top five, and you play. You can cast anything cost five or less. But this one, you just get to draw the cards, and then you have to play them out Got slowly. Okay. You're supposed to cast them immediately, but it's an instant. It's supposed to be a sorcery, and it's one color, which is uh, is pretty sweet. And I, I can see why it's your favorite. It makes it makes a sweet card. Next up, we have Hopefuls. These are cards that we hope would see play for one reason or another. Maybe it's because we think that we'd like the decks that they would fit into. Maybe it's because we think they would could improve the format in some way. Uh, things like that. Uh, I'll go first again. Uh, my first one is Frantic Scapegoat. Um, this card is one red for a creature goat. It has haste. When it enters the battlefield, suspected. So it means... it. Centers suspected and can't attack a block. Another one or more creatures enter the battlefield under your turn. If Frantic Scapegoat is suspected, 
you may suspect one other creature. If you do, it is no longer suspected. So we've we've entered like a re an interesting place in like standard magic where it feels hard to find like the perfect red one drop these days. Like we, we're playing Phoenix Chicks. Some people don't really like uh, Sospir in the way that they've, the, the spells that they've given us, stuff like that. And um, I really like that this one can give something else menace. Uh, if, if that's how I choose to use it later, I think that it, you know, will often get in a couple of attacks and be a thing lying around to, you know, get excess damage later on in the game, things like that. Um, I think this card is what I would call just good enough, and I kind of hope it's just good enough. Um, you know, I, I've had red one drops on our lists before. Uh, I think I had the, the two, two haste one, the kind of win back your hand in, uh, neon dynasty. But I, I think, I think this one could make it. And I'm, I'm hopeful because I really don't like playing Phoenix trick guys. Like I've just, I, I feel dirty every time I do it. So. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think that there's a, a, there's room for improvement in the standard red one drop spot right now and i think that frantic scapegoat being one one haste menace can't block on its own is already like in the same realm as phoenix trick of one one flying can't block as far as like one drop evasive but this having the upside of passing along like menace to the next thing seems really really powerful especially with just thinking of all the good three drops in uh like standard red right now like Okay, my Godric can't block. It wasn't blocking anyway. This is a card meant for attacking. Now it has Menace, and if I'm like if I'm uh, triggering it, it's going to have Flying as well. So I have a Flying Menace 4-4 four, four with Fire Breathing on the turns where I trigger it. That can't block. Same with like Squee. Some of the smaller things. One of the biggest challenges I have with Red, and especially against the mid-range decks right now, is that they're so good at putting just like bigger bodies on the ground, especially high numbers of toughness on the ground to attack past and a lot of the creatures on the low end don't really do a good job of that which is why phoenix chick is a card that's been uh like having rising stock this card solves so much of that by just being a nuisance on its own and then making something else a nuisance and I, I'm, I'm really excited to play with it i think this is like a like this this was near near a hit for me just for the way the standard is right now yeah i think like end of the battlefield this creature has menace and then make one of your other creatures have menace or their creature can't block is pretty good for a one one and is definitely the best one of these we've talked about like we talked about gold hound from capenna we talked about the ronin like this is one that doesn't like its only downside is it can't block like it is a one one with menace was gold hound mine too yeah it was yours too yeah. We talked about how it would bridge and it beat down. <laughs> I'm such a sucker for these one-one creatures. Yeah, you're a mark, dude. <laughs> We've all got a type. Yeah, uh, that's so funny. Um, I just want to be clear: you can't put it on their thing, right? Like you can't suspect. No, it, you have it, to suspect. You, no, suspect it's whatever enters under your control. You can suspect one of the other creatures that entered the battlefield. Yeah, you can't suspect their thing. Whenever one or more other creatures enter the battlefield under your control, if frantic safeguard is suspected, you may suspect one of the other creatures. 
If you oh, oh, with creatures that yeah, uh, I understand. Be I understand. So my, sick I understand. if it works the other way, that would be yeah. My bad. I, I thought it was like if basically if you trigger this, you can suspect anything. That's my bad. Yeah, no, you can, good. however, throw this goat under a bus if you've passed along the the suspect. Yeah, yeah. Like this this thing, once it's no longer a good attacker, that's, is just once it's ready. no longer a suspect of the crime it didn't commit, you can yeah. then let it's it just be carrying the corpse for for some <laughs> real criminal. It, like it is. Yeah, that's some flavor right there. A real scapegoat. Yeah. Uh, my next one is Krango's Buzz Crusher. Uh, this is an artifact creature, Insect Thopter. It's Flample. That's flying and trample. Like some, the, the the best of all, all mechanics. Uh, when Krango's Buzz Crusher enters the battlefield, for each player, destroy up to one non-basic land that that player controls. For each land destroyed this way, its controller may search its library for a basic land card, Put it onto the battlefield tap and then shuffle. Um, so I, I, I did include this for... I, this is a hopeful uh, because it does, in fact, kill Lotus. Um, it kills... Uh, which I think matters a lot for the blue-white versus gruel matchup in Pioneer to the point where I would consider main decking this card for that reason alone. Um, I think that matchup's really rough. And, uh, you know, because they're... I, I, I legitimately would like just try to like really put some Parmesan in there and choose them out. I, I think that it's one that I'm definitely going to try out um, as a four drop. Um, and I could see it seeing sideboard play in, in other formats too. Um, we, we've seen cards in similar space and definitely good enough to see standard play. You know, just a four, four flyer for four that, you know, can mess up your opponent's, uh, mess up your opponents like these Esper mana bases are crazy and this like blocks really well in matchups like that so yeah i think this is like obsidian charmaw ported to formats that aren't modern and i think that's a pretty promising card just at like the face of this is a card you can put in your sideboard to solve a problem that is very real in the format specifically lotus field i think that was like the the big talk of this card is it's worded so strangely where it doesn't target the land that gets destroyed just to solve that problem. But having more ways to interact with problematic lands like that and and Ghost Quarter, the unghost quarterable, is good. And also just, you know, a four mana flying trampling creature that could disrupt your opponent in other ways, you know, punish them for having a really basic light mana base. Um, there's already decks in Pioneer that use like uh, Cleansing Wildfire to kind of ramp um, that maybe could could use this on both sides of like, okay, well, I can use my Cleansing Wildfires to ramp me, but if your mana base is really greedy, now between having Buzz Crushers, which I can play on turn three after, like, using the Wildfire my own thing, I can go after your mana oh, base wait. a bit, access copies. That works on both, too, because, like, it yeah. does say destroy, so, like, if I target my indestructible land with this, I would yeah. still search. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so no. you, you could use this in that deck, and it would be... yeah. Like, you go turn two, like, Dark Soul or, or Cataract, like, Wildfire my land, get another land next turn, cast this, blow up my non-basic land to go get a like, ramp myself a land, put you back a land, in terms of, like, man development, make you go to basic. So there's there's a lot of potential there to, to do something outside of just use this to beat Lotus Field, but the fact that it does present the first real answer we have for decks like that to Lotus Field's a combo card is uh, is pretty great. Mason, anything you want to say on the card before we move on? I think the card is very good. I think it is incredibly awkwardly worded uh, in order to make its thing happen. And I wish they had done the wording differently. 
gotta make this work because it basically just doesn't work in the rules but they're like it will work and then it's like that meme with like enact yes and they just like push the heads together it's like you will kill lotus field you will go lanor elf into this and kill the lotus field i was thinking jedi mind trick it's like these are the droids you're looking for. <laughs> yeah you don't have text yeah. which is incredible you just put that line on text of growing. anyway card's great i think it is strong it is not weak will it be strong enough to be see play outside of front situations where lotus field hate that is the outcome but i think it's pretty likely that actually is like something that could happen. Yeah, it's a four. Like, it's a big, big four, four flyer for four. Yeah, I mean, killing creature lands also isn't weak. Like you know, in standard, you might just like play this card if there's like a bunch of creature lands that your deck has a problem with. It's a I'm gadget not. for your tool belt, you know, Mason. Why don't you go next? So my first card is Forensic Gadgeteer, which is two and a blue for a creature of a Dalkin Artificer Detective. Whenever you cast an artifact spell, investigate, and then activate abilities of artifacts you control cost one less to activate. This effect cannot reduce the mana that costs less than one. So if I had two of these, it would not cost me zero to crack a clue. It will always be at least one. But if you had two of these and you had something that took three mana to activate, it would only cost one. They do stack like that. This card is just like Psy Master Thopterus, but instead of making Thopters, it makes clues. So now you can have play eight Psy in Pioneer. Uh, I also think this card's really interesting for just its bottom line of text. Like, if you're a deck that wants to have random pieces of cardboard in play, then this will just create more cardboard and let you activate your cardboard more. And we talked about Tezzeret from Kamigawa being a like very strong potential planeswalker thanks to its activatability of artifacts, activated effects costing two less. Um, Costing one less and then being on like a reasonably statted body that will generate, you know, more things and move through cards. I, I think this card is really neat. I'm hopeful that it will see play. I'm sure it's going to see play in a bunch of cubes and be a great addition there. And I just really like this card. It was almost a favorite, but it also just does enough that I think it's like very possible and enables a new type of deck. I think they learned from Training Grounds, Abe. I think that they realized that you can't just give us things that we'll abuse. Yeah, I mean, this card already whenever you cast an artifact they'll investigate is a very powerful amount of text like my artifact is now two artifacts is a lot for artifact synergies of which there are many um and then also the activated ability of costing less means that not only are those clues you're making now just one minute draw a card so it's like i'll just pay a kicker of one all my artifact spells and draw a card which is on artifacts really dangerous like i wonder if this card has vintage applications just because of like that I can I play this my paradoxical outcome deck, and then I like have a way to feed that and even more cards or or anything like that. Um, I'll have to be drafting it some in Vintage Cube whenever it's there. But yeah, just the there's a lot of of really strong things going into this card, and and the obviously like no no free mana off your prophetic prisms, etc. Clause is a good a good safety net there. Next up, I have Leyline of the Guild Pack, which is an enchantment. And it has hybrid mana that is basically green and then one of every color. So it's green-white, green-blue, green-red, and green-black. And it has the Leyline text. So if this is in your opening hand, you may begin the game with this in play. And then its text box is each non-land permanent you control is all colors. And then lands you control are every basic land type in addition to their other type. So there's a lot of weird things about this card. And I, I want to say this card also almost made my favorites just for the reaction on social media, because 
for some people, they were posting how this card does nothing, and other people are posting how it's the craziest card of all time. And I just want to say, like, huge shout out any card that can do that, I think, is really awesome in the game. Um, but what I like about this card is a few things. One, it is a lot of devotion for Nykthos, and I just get to put it in play. And if I'm willing to have a card that is a little dead sometimes, but gives my Nykthos a lot of devotion, then this gives you some really strong starts. You can put this into play, play any land. It can be your Nykthos even, and play Land or Elf on turn one, and then turn two land. You'll have five mana uh, by activating your Nykthos. That is a lot of mana. You'll have at least four. You know, if we car, rest in peace. It would have been something crazy in that format, maybe in older ones. But I think there's a lot of weird things you can do with this. It enables Leyline Binding for one mana, which is kind of cool. There was a blue-green, like, Devotion deck that I was kind of messing around with, where you, like, you would Fey, and you had to, like, filter some amount of your blue Devotion with your Nykthos via Kiora with a Fey in play to, like, get the blue to keep going. This solves all that while also being a lot of Devotion. So... There might be something there to explore. I, I don't know if that's going to actually be good enough, but it's at least interesting. And then in Modern, because all your lands are all the land types, things like Cabal Coffers and Balakut get a lot more appealing in a way that is like kind of hard to imagine what a deck looks like with that. We've seen some people put them together. Um, but I think that this just is a card that opens up a whole new bunch of types of decks, which is really cool, and opens up like turn two kills in Standard as a cool like you know, meme that you're going to see around line or opens up, you know, domain and modern. So you're, you know, your sign of Draco is all the colors so everything has all the abilities. And it's just a really interesting card. And that's what's my hopeful. What is the turn, turn two storm kill that everybody keeps talking about? So the turn two, you, you turn one, you play uh cautious scamp or Calfer scamp or whatever. I don't actually know the name of it. I never heard anyone say it, but the one, one that yeah, when yeah, it dies, you sacrifice it. I got it in my backpack. Well, well I, I'm explaining to the listener now. The, the one one that when it dies, you proliferate, and when you hit somebody, you can sack it to deal the power, damage equal to its power to target anything. Yeah. Uh, and so you go Gaia's Might, Gaia's Might. So plus five, plus five, twice, and that's 11, and then you sack it, and that's 22. Nice. Yeah. That's, there's like, what, you can play eight copies of plus five, plus five for a single mana mm-hmm. in modern? Yeah, well, this one's in standard, but yes. Oh, oh, that is in standard. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, you can do it in modern too. And in, in standard, you also have Nishova Brawler, which is now a two mana five three with trample uh, that helps enable this. So, you know, it, it's a lot of pieces, but it's like a cool thing you get to do. And not everything has to be the highest tier of competitiveness. Yeah. So uh, the first thing that I thought about because of this podcast, while while you're reading it, is do you guys know that those pips can be paid for through burning transmissary mana because one of them is hybrid green, red. So that you can use your red mana. So you know we we gotta we gotta stew brewing in our new devotion deck by multiple Mason cards here. Uh, shout out! Uh, but also like I, I think this card's just cool. I think sometimes like we get so focused on um what's how do I want to say this? Like not not just EV or like stuff like that, but um like the the fifty the fifty one. We, we care so much about the 51 that we ignore the like the fun, if that makes sense. And I think sometimes the fun is okay. And like having those, like part of the thing that we loved about Magic as Kids is that we had, we had the opportunity to have fun. We had the opportunity to brew and try to break things. And giving people that opportunity and not being little fun suckers is it's kind of important. So I really like this pick, Mason. 
I am pretty candidly hopeful for this card to allow me to play Monogreen Devotion at the Pro Tour. If this if if I can find a build that does this, like it's so powerful to start with uh with four devotion in play that if you have like that and Nykthos, suddenly you just have like, I don't know, what feels like goblin charbelter esque draws of like, well, my deck just does so much so fast, it doesn't matter what you do, you're gonna lose to this. And that's even before thinking about like I have two. Like two and, and a Nykthos and some and like two lands is like, okay, any time anything I draw until these are answered, I'm just going to have the mana to cast. That's and Genesis I wave mana right there. That's not even like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, like, I'll just I'll just throw in the festival and flash it back. Like, it doesn't really matter what I hit, but I'm going to do that this game. It's just, like, a really, really powerful starting spot, so I'm uh, interested to see how that winds up feeling and, and testing out a chance to sit down and do it yet. Abe, your, both of your cards almost made my list, so I'm excited. Let's uh, Let's talk about the one that's keeping the door. So, uh, my first card I'm hopeful for, I am extremely hopeful for. I gotta say, I've got a lot of, lot of, lot of eggs in this basket, and that is uh, Doorkeeper Thrall. It's uh, one and a white for a uh, creature Thrall. One, two, flash flying uh, with the text, artifacts and creatures entering the battlefield don't cause abilities to trigger. So I was, like, I don't know, not too excited by this card initially when I... When I saw it, and then I was talking over the weekend with someone about what I was going to play at the RC, and I was talking about like why it was I didn't feel like I could play Hammer, and then it dawned on me that this card, while a bit of a non-both Sigardizade and does need some work around that, is an answer to the One Ring trigger and to Solitude with Flash. So like previously, I've seen Hammer decks play like Hushbringers. And the like to kind of shut down the evoke elementals. But that has a problem of being just like a sorcery speed one, two, that is pretty easy to like play around and play through when you know it's there. Doorkeeper Thrall can be a two mana creature that counters a solitude effectively, or like a two mana creature that counters a one ring for all intents and purposes, uh, because it's also going to shut off any subsequent solitude. So if they are like tapping out to cast this card, uh, cast, cast that card, then Doorkeeper Thrall can just neutralize it and makes it so that I think a lot of your Urza Saga draws involving drawing also Thrall is going to be, like, could be able to make those matchups a lot more palatable to the point where Hammer gets even better to the point where, like, I'm okay with how bad the Ogmoth matchup is, is that's my only one I'm truly down on. And so, yeah, I've got a lot of a lot of eggs in, in my heart a lot of heart eggs in the basket of the uh, the doorkeeper thrall because if this card is as good as I think it could be um, in those matchups, I think that Hammer can be a really, really big player again because of that. I love that for you. Uh, I think it's funny that the magic community as a whole like is like, oh, blue's so rude, it says no by counting your spells. And then white cards do stuff like this. And you're like, who's really saying no to you folks? Is it the blue people keep people keeping people in check? Or is it these white cards that literally make it so entire archetypes don't work? Which one? Which one's the real fun? Doesn't place? every color do it though? Mm, this is my time right now. Kills, this is my time right now, Mason. You can oh, have my bad. Time Sorry. later. Uh, uh, no, I, I think this card's really good. I think the flash is like pretty important to this card because it kind of gets to act as that counter spell so to speak 
in those important moments. And I think that that really pushes it. Like, if you just had to leave it in play to kind of get hurt, you wouldn't get to get that instant value out of it. And I think that that helps a lot. Mason, what about you? No, I, I agree. It, it is like a counter spell, right? Like, I think your comparison is apt. Like, it, it doesn't counter the full thing, but as we've learned from Tishani's Tidebinder recently, like, just getting rid of that trigger, which is essentially what this does, is really big. And the one ring that's really big. Um, I am still skeptical of Hammer's place in the metagame despite those problems. But, you know, you got you got to cook a little. And uh, open deck list, if Abe's got three of these in his sideboard and I have his opponent and he's holding up mana, who knows what's coming down, you know? And so, it, it's it's cool. It, does, it is awkward with my Stoneforge Mystics as well, but maybe I can solve that in the sideboard. I just won't play this. This is a this is a card that's a two drop. I'm not casting until turn four, Mason. I've already got the hammer on the creature when I'm casting this. All right. Well, there's no law that says I have to have this in play when I do the other thing. I can be I can do two different things, Mason. And I also you. I I do really think that like true truthfully. This card, if it doesn't provide, like present too many awkward situations, but it actually plays out, I do think that this meaningfully improves the Amulet Titan and the One Ring matchups. And the like, yeah, just like those two alone is already like enough for me to consider this card. So I feel like that's that's a big portion of it. And then like you can devote more to trying to beat like Yogmoth or whatever, just except for lost to Yogmoth. Uh, while you're doing that, I'm surprised yeah. you think that the metagame positioning isn't that isn't that great. That I think like against Rhinos, Scam, and Murktide, you're already in a decent spot. I think Rhinos is the toughest of those, but is like still pretty fifty fifty, and maybe even better um, the more you build towards it. But then like those other two matchups, making one of those better and your worst matchup in the fringe of the metagame better, I think makes the like Hammer could advance to being in that second to yeah, second tier. I- I believe that this card does meaningfully help the amulet matchup. I have no doubts about that. I have bigger doubts about hammer as a whole, but maybe like this card is just enough to cover the spots where you were losing that you can like sneak enough of those matchups in a tournament and then win your good matchups uh, that it can succeed. But I mean, I like playing hammer a lot. I would like to be able to play hammer. So before Please I move on, well, so I can commentate your matches and be like, "That's my friend Abe. He's got a big bad thrall, and they do it." You gotta think it's good in the mirror, Abe. <laughs> you know what? Honestly, hang on. This is, and then we can move on. If this gets Abe to stop putting Teferi Time Reveler in his sideboard of Hammer, Doorkeeper Thrall is my new bestie. You know, we're in there. If I have to that card's so messed up. It's so oh, good. No. That's an entire. That's an entire. That's an entire different episode. We can. <laughs> we we can stash that skeleton for later. Oh man, you stole my joke. Go ahead, Abe. <laughs> yeah. So my uh my other card I'm hoping for is a uh, case of the stash skeleton. This is another um case enchantment. Uh, so it's one to black. And when it enters the battlefield, you create a 2-1 black skeleton creature token and suspect it. So it's a 2-1 black skeleton that has menace and can't block. And then to solve the case, you need to, at the end of your turn, control no suspected skeletons. And then once it's solved, it has one in a black, sacrifice this case, search your library for a card, put it in your hand, and then shuffle. Activate only sorcery. This card is just sweet. Like, this card is 
is a two mana, two one menace that can't block, which is not the best, but it's one that like if your opponent double blocks it, like like they, they just never want to block it because they double block it, then you get to tutor for the best card in any given spot, like the next turn. Or if you use one of the many cards with bargain from uh from Eldraine or have any amount of sack outlets or use for an extra token lying around, like this is not just a two one that's gonna do like attack once or twice. This is now enabling like this is material you're meaningfully using, and then demonic tutor later. Like it's it's two one that can't block and has menace that is just a resource on its own, plus demonic tutor three turn three turns from now. It's profane tutor plus a two one. I think this card's like really sweet, and I, and I hope it's as sweet as I, I think it is because I think it's just like pretty lights out. So I did say that both your cards almost made my list, and. I wanted to say why this card didn't make my list. And it's going to sound really crazy, and it's fine. Y'all can make fun of me. But, like, we had Diabolic Intent. It was either mine or Abe's card, I think, when it was spoiled in Brothers War. And I just am starting to question whether we've gotten past the point of Demonic Tutor being the not-so-busta card that it has been historically because we're so good at other things in magic that the two mana is like kind of a lot like obviously in in certain formats where like you're just looking for your combo piece or whatever and it's just another spell to your storm counter stuff like that obviously that's not true but i i'm starting to question whether two mana is like too much to pay for these style of effects i don't know why i'm like i think the Di diabolic content is that like literally in my head i was like i neither Aber i just talked about diabolic intent that card has seen zero play. It's and there's creatures lying around all the time right now. You'd think that that would be fine. I don't know. That's that's kind of like why I didn't include it on my list. I just don't think tutors. I think part of the reason tutors were strong is your cards sucked back in the day, and you needed to get your good ones. Or like cards were so polarizing, you needed to find your good one. And I mean, they're not like weak or whatever, but like demonic tutor is not like a very high pick card for me in like a cube. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, two mana is just a lot because so many cards generate something to do. Now, I will say that, like, if I want to play a deck that has, like, a specific combo, and maybe it's something like a creativity or a transmogrify type thing in standard, this being something that puts something in play, counts as a creature, and then maybe helps find that after I do it the first time or find something else, that is very appealing to me. I don't like it in a lot of applications where it's not fair. I, I think that, like, you know, Diabolic Intent is just, like, a very weak card. I, I think Demonic Tutor, like, is a card you could put into standard. But, like, it, that, it's That's just, actually my point, though, right? Like, if they if, if yeah. they literally said Diabolic Tutor is in standard right now, like, I think I would struggle to find a deck, like, multiple decks that I would put it in. And I know that, I like, would, I, I know that I sound crazy right now. I just think that, the like... Like I think of like if they if they printed like Green Sun Zenith, how many decks would it go into? Oh, Green Sun Zenith, I think is different, but like dramatically. But I, I think that Demonic Tutor, I, I believe you're right that like it would require very specific things for me to want to play more than one of them. I think a lot of my decks would end up playing one Tutor that are decks that go long that have redundancy in effects, but kicker two to search my deck for a card 
at sorcery speed is like strong and like it is very much game designer not weak real world i'm not as interested uh and its applications in the older formats i think is where demonic tutor would shine not in standard that's why i think getting a body where you get like a resource up front on this mm -hmm. and like you know it, like it, it's rectangle theory plus a built-in mechanism to to cash out and cashing out a demonic tutor something where like you already got other tangible advantage out of playing the card and then at the stage we're like okay the game is developed enough and i already did stuff and like maybe i know what exactly the war position is i can go get my one wrath or like my you know my removal spell i need to answer the shoulder they have or like the archfiend of dross they have or whatever it is um or like maybe i just want to hold on to the fact that at some point they're going to present the right kind of problem for me to need to go find the right kind of answer and I can just sit with this thing and play once my skeletons died and I have that answer rolled up. Like having Demonic Tutor in your hand at the right time and it always being something that like you were still playing the game otherwise and then you're like, okay, well I drew the right card. I just need to pay two more mana for it. I think is uh, is, is pretty interesting. Like this, yeah, as a, this is a body plus. Without the body, I think it's pretty unplayable. Yeah, and for what it's worth, I just was like, backing spencer up or whatever on demonic tutor i think is like a little bit there and i and once once again i do think that like this card is appreciably different because like you mentioned it is a two mana two one menace and rectangle theory and i think like notably and i, and I keep mentioning this i think it's like there's like a whole they always do a card like this in standard like a polymorph or a transmogrifier and novel creativity where it's like hit go until you hit a creature and having cards like this enable that and now with standard being three years i need to like mentally mark cards like this where it's like okay if they give me like a blue one i might be able to build like blue black control that flips into a track stuff you know or whatever and that's really really strong so i think this card is game designer not weak and in practice you're gonna have to work for it a little bit but it is very cool and like you need to give it some respect because it is doing something very unique. You could convince me that like a standard polymorph deck would want this card. I, I think that that is totally fair. I also just want to say that like this card did almost make my list. So I'm not like I don't think this card is bad. I just I I'm starting to question how I look at magic cards more now as like you know the the game changes. Um, I, I do I do, I'm curious um, if there is there a way other than just like attacking or sacrificing this thing. And it can be blocked to get rid of the skeleton. Like the uh, I mean, there's just it's like the bargain stuff. I think you play like if you're a red black like torch the tower or whatever. You could bargain because it's a token. It's a big okay. part so, of the draw so yeah, to me. Sacrificing it would be the the main way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, or like I don't know if there's any creatures that like pick up things or flicker things as like a drawback or like a, an additional cost, but no, it, it's mostly that just combat and just attacking and it getting blocked. But even I think just having like a two one two one menace camp block is like pretty good at pressuring planeswalkers or uh, or life totals in the right spots. Like that thing with Gix is just like a good a yeah. good curve for like no, that, green that's black. That's totally fair. Let's go on to hits. These are cards that we just think are for sure going to see play uh, in one format or another, and um, and I'm gonna let you go first this time. Yeah. So um, my first hit is Lightning Helix. I feel like there's not too much to say about this card. It's a very simple, um, classic design. It's red and a white to uh, deal three damage to any target. 
and Game Three Life. It is like probably my favorite simple magic design of all time. It's like all the way back from our OG Ravnica. I mean, this card is played in like you know Modern Burn. It was played in like it was almost like half the red splash and blue control to make it Jeskai and uh, in Modern in, in days gone by. I think this card has a ton of applications in Pioneer in decks that are like defensive or even in decks that are like racing decks. Uh, I think it has applications in Standard for the same reasons. It's just Lightning Strike with an upside on it if you're just going to have the mana. And yeah, this is just like one of my favorite cards plays of all time. And because it's very good and efficient at what it does, so I'd be very surprised if it was not a card that saw a ton of play uh, pretty immediately on release. Yeah, I we don't have... We I just want to mention that we don't have... Uh, I don't remember... What is the name of the red-white Fastland? Inspiring Vantage? Yeah, we don't have Inspiring Vantage in Standard, and I just want to call that out. Like, uh, it, like the, the most easy slot for this card uh does does not exist uh the, there is actually some mana problems in the color combo for the aggressive versions that I, however we do have the stuff for other naya aggressive decks which i have uh been thinking a lot about i know that i personally top edited an rcq with like naya wolves like a standard format ago um and there have been even more and more really good naya you know support things and this would just kind of add to that list Actually, this would go really well in Naya Wolves, too, now that I think about it. Yeah, and there's already, think, like, there's Naya Triumph, too. <laughs> I think most of Naya decks are going to get improved by adding Helix yeah, to that's it. that's true, that's fair. <laughs> I just meant because it was an instant, right? So I, like, I think my Naya Insect deck with Bushwax could be pretty good. <laughs> no, no I, I think this card's strong. I, I think, like, I, I, could, I think it's most interesting to talk about this card in the context of Standard and Pioneer, and specifically Standard, where Mono Red has been quite good. It is very efficient. Uh, I've played some of Abe's deck that we talked about last week. I think it is very good. I think Mono Red is a deck that needs to be respected more. And the question is now, because Shock's in this set too. So now we have Shock play with Fire this. Uh, Lightning Helix, excuse me. Um, that is like a meaningful amount of burn. And does that change what Red is? And yes, we don't have Inspiring Vantage, but we do have like uh, the Battlefield Forge. So there's like something going on there. That's a lot of burn and like, Maybe that's something. And then in Pioneer, I think it's really interesting because there we do have all of it. And now we have Forest Charm and Helix. And Pioneer Burn has been a deck that can't exist for a long time for a lot of reasons. But maybe there's finally, this is enough to move the needle. Yeah, I think it's like kind of a double-edged sword of whether or not it's going to be a card that moves the needle more aggressive in a format or away from that. Like I could see a world where, like blue white in pioneer splashes this very good like two mana interactive interactive board spell that kills you know fatal mirror breaker and tokens and various x3s like can kill amalia but you pay the ward and you get it back or or otherwise i just think it's a card that is so good that it plays in all in in all places my other hit is long goodbye which is a one in a black instant that cannot be countered that is destroy target creature or planeswalker with mana value three or less. So this is just a can't be countered eliminate. Um, it's like a strict upgrade to a card that sees on and off play in Pioneer. I think uh, in Standard as well. This will be a card that is um, very good. I think the can't be countered clause, like especially in Pioneer, makes things like uh, 
like back when Rakdos was just the best deck in Pioneer or like the most played deck that people played all the time, like Graveyard Trespasser Ward discard a card was a huge, huge pain um, and made that card as good as it was in spite of it looking kind of pedestrian. This card breezes right past that. Ward be damned. Uh, it, it will just just push through. And I think that there's something to be said for like a lot of those small, like, you know, kind of hidden like upsides on on cards or like small things that, that provide that that tension that make them a little bit better, kind of being neutralized by this not being able to be countered, being better in more spots that that make it pretty appealing. I can even see this played like being played in modern in some format, like shapes of the format where like Teferi's really good or there's like another, you know, small planeswalker that is uh that is worth worth playing and so I would I would be surprised this one didn't see more play than like what is it, like Annoyed with Afflictions just play right now, which does effectively the same thing in decks I that I played Annoyed of Affliction Annoyed with Affliction yesterday. Like literally cast the card yesterday. Yeah, and you had no way to give your opponent poison counters, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and the exile doesn't really matter to you, right? No, so yeah. Yeah. I think this just has all that application with more upside, can't be countered. Um and yeah, another another way to answer Rafine without having to pay Ward, throwing that out there, it uh, it slices and dices. So I think this is another another really good one. Given it's a murder mystery set, I have two questions to ask about this card. And first, Spencer, would you say you're a mono red enthusiast now in standard, or at least an enjoyer? I would not say enthusiast. I I, I had some fun, yeah. Okay, and curious that Abe Stein also said the exile doesn't matter yet. He plays Squee in his deck. Curious. Now I'm just kidding. We, uh, <laughs> which I, I poured out Fiction. against all of the black. I was going to say, I don't know that I activated the Squee this weekend. Oh, I, I, I love Squee in against the black deck. Oh, no, against uh, the decks, you don't want your deck. Oh, interesting. I thought it was. Right, let's re, we can talk about this all uh, thing. Uh, but interesting. I also play North Affliction. I think it is strong. I think this card is strong. Yeah. Uh, it is very good. And it is also funny to me that it is very good against Teferi Time Raveler. Because sometimes the play pattern is like you stick your Teferi Time Raveler and you untap, and then it like never dies again in the older formats. And this gets around that. And also, it never really comes up, but theoretically, someone could chalice them to in other spots, you know, to really lock things up. And this is like Chapow. That's funny. And yeah, I, I don't know. I, I thought a lot about like if you wanted to answer Teferi and you were a Cascade deck that had a Cascader for two, would you use this card? Which is a thing that exists in modern. And I think the answer is yes. Um, and so I think this card is good. I think it has a lot of applications. So, yeah, I mean, some of those situations are really kind of like the kind of like a pick your poison application. If we're being honest, you really have to, you know, find you, you gotta you gotta take it on the chin a couple times. But you realize you want a card like this. <laughs> For those watching, uh, he's not groaning in in agony of my joke as much as he is in pain because he has a headache. I'm sorry, Mason. No, that one was the joke. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> my first card of hits is Pick Your Poison. This is a sorcery. You choose one. Uh, each each opponent sacrifices an artifact. Each opponent sacrifices an enchantment. Each opponent sacrifices a creature flying. Um, this is just one mana do a thing that... I Didn't, didn't we have a standard playable of this that was also a sorcery that was just the flying one like not even four years ago yeah like what is yeah. happening <laughs> um i think this card's like really good i think this could see play 
I mean, when you get to, like, the one mana cost and, like, these type of, like, really flexible sideboard cards, like, th this legitimately could see play all the way through Magic. I, I don't think that there's a format that this couldn't touch, to be completely honest. Uh, it, it's super flexible. It costs one green. There, there's... There's not, like, a lot to be said about it, right? Like, it's just a really efficient thing at what it does. It dodges lots of different things because it's a sacrifice effect. It's really good. It... Yeah, I mean, the versatility on this card makes it what it is. Uh, especially because there's a lot of times... I mean, even... Not to bring it back to Mono Red again, but... Mono Red has one artifact to place. Urbrass Forge. It's a very important card, and that's just where it's important. There's a one-mana answer to that, because they're never going to have another thing to get rid of. And the same thing can be said for, you know, certain next enchantments or with flying creatures. And when that's the case, this is a card that's going to catch all of those. Um, and even when it's just a matter of, okay, maybe I just need to tag something because a lot of their things are artifacts or a lot of things are, are enchantments or a lot of things are, are flyers. This is just an efficient edict for those things too. Um, yeah, super, super potent card. Um, really good at just hating out the right stuff. Uh... Mason, anything you want to say on this one before I move on? I think it's really good. I, I think it's modern playable. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think that's, like, I, don't, I feel like so often we disrespect flexibility in modern, and, like, Force of Vigor is very strong, for example, but, like, this answers different things while overlapping a little bit with that. So, like, maybe your Force of Vigor deck is weak to Merktide, and so now... In that matchup, you have like an answer to their Blood Moon that's maybe really good against you, and the Merc Tide, and other matchups. You know, it's just like a one mana set something, which is just good. Trade up on mana. Uh, Max card uh, is one that I think everybody knew is going to be mine. Uh, it's green, green, green for an instant Archdruid's Charm. Uh, choose one, search your library for a creature or land card. Uh, reveal it, put the card into your uh, battlefield, tap it into land, otherwise put it into your hand. Uh, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. It deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control. Or exile an artifact or enchantment. I saw people say that this card does nothing on Twitter. I also saw people say this is the best card in the set on Twitter. And I think this card is just really good. Like, the ability to search for any land and put it into play is really powerful. Um, I mean, th there are many decks in many formats that would want a card like this. Uh, I saw people talking about an Amulet Titan. I think the, the mana cost is a little restrictive, but definitely possible. Um, I think that in standard, like, there's lots of standard decks that would, like, happily play this card. Um, and then also it exiles the One Ring, so. There's... There's lots to love about this card. I uh, I assume it will see about as much play in formats as Archmage's Charm did, for what it's worth, which is like sometimes a two of in some decks, but a really powerful tool in your tool belt. Yeah, I think this card lands between... Definitely between the best card in the set and does nothing. But I do think that, like, it's not a card that is... Like, people, I think, disrespect a lot triple green as a casting cost that is a real deck building restriction and also for all of these effects triple green is 
a real cost to gain access to them. With the exception of maybe Exile Turret Artifact or Enchantment, where you're getting access to like most things you're going to want to exile and make sure you take care of, that's a, a good rate to pay for that because it's a niche effect and it's stapled to two really strong alternative effects. Otherwise, you are paying a premium for the selection you're getting or for access to the effect, right? Like the punch effect at three green at instant speed is a high cost and not like you're you're paying a real cost to get that. You're paying for the flexibility when you do that. There are better better options uh, like in the same class um, of spell. And same thing for like in most formats searching for like a creature or a land. Um, but getting access to all of them together and having a deck that uses all of them well, if there is one, is going to really, really love this card, and it's going to make this card is going to make that deck possible. Like being being that flexible and that modal, enabling those different game plans or those different draws, I think is is what really makes this card. But it's hard for a card like that that is so restrictive to be on that level of power, in my opinion. Yeah, it definitely asks a lot of hoops of you. I will say really quickly that I, I love that Archmage's Charm has existed. Tell me of Archdruid's Charm, which means that the cycle has begun. So Archbishop's Charm is coming. Uh, but like I think it's very cool to have modal cards like this that cover a lot of space and with very like prohibitive mana costs. Like color, color, color is just really hard. And this is maybe the color that does it the best. Like green is the best at maybe black as well so green and black are the charms i'm most interested to see how they're designed and balanced because these are the ones we can do it the easiest and quickly so i'm interested to see exactly how much play this card does see because it its modes are powerful especially the first mode of search for a creature or a land those are like very good when they are what your deck is built around and you can afford to work without this card as well. So it kind of like adds a bunch of redundancy to a deck that maybe wants something and then doubles as removal or disenchant when you already have the thing. And I think that is a very powerful card. So I'm curious to see kind of how this ends up breaking down. Very strong for Leyline of the Guild Pack, Dave. That's all I'm saying, you know, because Leyline makes all your things green. I can go I, find my one fave wishes. I I did have to correct somebody on Twitter who thought this did two things. I was like, no, it's a charm. All the charms do one thing. The commands do two things. You can charm something, and then you can command something. They're different. Mm -hmm. Different. They cost you know different amounts of charisma to do. So mm -hmm. I'm gonna take a sharpie to this and make it Archmate Archdruid's command, and then just choose two modes of the Pro Tour. And that's <laughs> Your card would be so much better than everybody else's. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why people didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Mason, uh, <laughs> both of your cards also almost made my list. Why don't you talk about the first one? Yeah, so first up, I have No More Lies. This is white and a blue for an instant. Counter target spell, unless it's controller pays three. If that spell is countered this way, exile it instead of putting it in its owner's graveyard. So it is mana leak with the exile clause for white and blue mana instead of one in a blue. Um, Mana Leak is a very strong card that we've had for a long time. A little, like, behind the scenes, when I saw this card work on MH3, I thought about Spencer, who's always like, just give us Mana Leak in Standard. Just the thing you would say on the podcast a lot. I thought, well, in, like, a year and a half, buddy, your wish will come true. Now that I kept moving on, reading through the file. Uh, but I think this card is really good uh, in Blue, White, and Pioneer. 
I think that deck has been playing cards like Make Disappear. And while the mana cost is not nothing, it is still a very powerful effect. And I'm very curious to see how this plays out in Standard. We do have Cavern of Souls now, kind of, you know, preemptively, right? Like this time they released Cavern first, then they released the mana leak, which I think is a pretty smart way to do it. But I'm, I'm interested to see sort of how this card plays out. And I just want to quickly say, I doubt this is a modern player. I keep getting sit deck lists where like they have this card in their deck. And like, yeah, pitches the solitude, but like you were not wanting a mana leak. And if you were, it was because your deck was a deck splashing blue, not a blue deck. So then they they gave us counterspell in modern. Yeah, but people were wanting like more counterspells. More more than that? Yeah. No, arch arch Once you pop, you just can't stop. <laughs> Fair enough. So uh it was really funny because uh, when the, the, I fully plan on having this be one of my hits, and then Mason Mason got to it first, you know, yesterday, which means behind the scenes, Abe and I really lagged behind on uh, getting our pick twos in. So I, I think that this card will see standard play. I have no doubt about it. People have already asked me, like, oh, like, what do you think this is the blue white mid range decks? And I was like, I think this is a reason to play blue white mid range over the other. Like the blue eye flash, blue eye mid range, blue eye soldiers. Like I, I think this is a legitimate, like boon to those decks. I also think that blue white uh, control is not that far off in standard. I think Abe might have mentioned that earlier in the podcast as a potential thing that you could be doing. This definitely helps a deck like that out that really uh, suffers. And then can we be? I, I know you've already mentioned it, but can like we be honest? How bad? Like it, we we have hammered home. The playing cancel in your pioneer deck is like literally suicide, uh, and this is this is not that. This is actually a really good card. Um, I think the mana base has to change a lot. They, they played, if I'm not mistaken, they played a lot of Field of Ruin style of effects historically in Blue White and Pioneer, and I think that that would actually be a hard thing for this card to fit into. Um, I guess that being said, they played Dovin's Veto, so maybe I'm just up in the night, so it maybe just doesn't. But I think this card's great. I think that it uh, dramatically changes my opinion of the blue eye deck in Pioneer, and I don't envy you for the Pro Tour. Having to figure out if it's important. Yeah, I think this card is definitely important. It very easily slots into, like, blue white in various forms, which is one of the best decks in Pioneer right now. I think a question of, like, does that change anything about the format as a whole that exists is not there, but I would be thoroughly surprised this was not just a huge player in... Like, it's it's one of those cards that comes out and kind of like um, when, like, Fatal Push came out and it was like, yeah, I mean, we're just playing it now and it's good and uh, that's what it is and the best decks that use it are going to do well. So, like, yeah, if you're playing a blue-white deck, your deck just got better because instead of playing, like, some of our make spears, now you have these mana leaks uh, that also have an exile spell and who knows when that comes up? So, uh, yeah, I think it's a, a very, very um, strong addition to to Pioneer and to Standard. And it'll be interesting to see how uh, how that, that plays out. Uh, last but not least is War Leader's Call, which is a card I'm very excited about. This is one right red-white enchantment. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, War Leader Carl deals one damage to each opponent. So. Glorious Anthem, Impact Tremors, they kiss. Now we have War Leader's Call. Uh, I think this card's really cool. I think, you know, like, 
in standard, there's already a red-white convoke deck that goes pretty wide, and I think the convoke creatures, like, I've talked to some people that have played the deck, and they actually didn't super love them in the deck, and other people did, so I, I don't know, there's some amount of, like, maybe you don't even want nine errant of Eos in your deck in high numbers, and I think this card kind of slots in there, and Immodane's Recruiter is weird in the deck where it is good, but, like, you often don't abuse the haste part of the card very well, so this card just being a glorious anthem and an impact tremor is really strong. Similar things can apply to Pioneer, I think, to a lesser extent, but could come up. And ultimately, I think War Leader's card call is a card that's going to make the red-white Convoke deck in standard very good, with its biggest flaw being something we talked about earlier. It doesn't have the red-white fast land uh, to help really smooth this draw. But I think it has a lot of good stuff. There's also the new Thraven Inspector in this set. So really, the Pioneer... <laughs> red-white deck is just in standard. There's, like, very few cards missing, and most of it is, like, sideboard stuff. But I don't know. This card is very weird, and I've seen a lot of different opinions on this card, but I think it is pretty good. And I'm curious to see what y'all have to say. So, the first thing that I thought of when I saw this card, I actually said on the Discord, is I was really excited to brew a Killer Among Us deck with this card, but that is when I believe a Killer Among Us cost two mana. Where I was like, man, this is going to be great. Uh, that being said, uh, I still think that uh, this card doesn't just fit into, like, you know, red-white. I, I think this actually fits really well into, like, Naya decks as well and could be used in those style of decks to, you know, stay bigger than your opponent, things like that, um, and, and really close out damage. I think this card's really powerful. It was one of the cards that, you know, when, when it was previewed, I thought was super powerful, um, and really, really pushing the envelope. So I, I think it's a great hit. Yeah, this is a real chocolate and peanut butter card. This also in my list too is one of my favorites. Um, it just does what you want it to do. If you're a deck full of creatures, now your creatures are better. If you have no creatures in play and you draw creatures and you can't use them yet, well, now you can. They're dealing some damage. And I think that in a lot of ways, like... The one point of damage for every creature adds up, especially when it's turning into two points of damage for every creature. Or, you know, you're making tokens, and then it's, you know, now it's... So I made three one ones, and if I'm hitting you with all of them, and I got those triggers, now it's two damage for each of those creatures that I'm getting. Um, like, curving, like, a couple of, like, some some small stuff into, like, wedding announcement into this card, or this card into wedding announcement. That's just a lot of material that's very big and dealing damage and, like, in a way that these decks tend to, especially against other decks full of creatures or with larger creatures like mid-range decks, creating a wide board that while you're doing it and while you're engaging this arms race of, like, well, my, your opponent's, like, they can't attack because you have enough things to go around, they're big stuff, they leave back to block. Now it's, like, you're losing that fight over time uh, with this card in play in a way that just Glorious Anthem or just Impact Tremors doesn't do so great alone. But getting both of these together on one card for only one more mana than, than the Impact Tremors or for one additional colored mana, uh, like color of mana, to a Glorious Anthem, I think does take this card just a step above. And I, I, I'm really excited to see what the potential is. Yeah, I really, I think that people might underappreciate the squeeze that this puts you in. Um, and I think that I, I can't remember if it was on this, if it was on the show where we talked about like that kind of that, that pincering that you're able to do with 
with certain cards. Um, but it, it kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, I mean, a small anecdote from playing the playing the Boris Convoke deck and Pioneer at um, at the RC. So I played against Doomwick playing Gruul, and he played a turn two Rampaging Ferocidon. And then I ended the game at uh, three life. The Rampaging Ferocidon never attacked me successfully. I just put creatures into play. For the rest of the game until I eventually drew an image recruiter or like crewed up a, a warden that pushed through everything and, and won the game. That me like I could I stopped playing creatures on purpose because I didn't want to die to like double stomp or something. Uh I could have easily done 20 damage with an impact drummers in that game, right? And and I wouldn't have put that card in my deck, but this is something I could feasibly put in my deck, especially because it's something that dodges them like temporary lockdown. Gives me insulation against sweepers, um, like leverages all the token makers I have. And in standard, where we don't have um federated loxodon, this is like kind of the next best thing. I think this card is, is is really the real deal. That is gonna do it for the pick two set review. One of the best ways to support the show is by Patreon. We don't do Patreon questions on the pick two set review, but you can go to patreon.com slash ccmtg to support the show. It helps out a ton. You can also join the conversation on YouTube with comments and questions really helps the show out we really appreciate the work that you the listener have been putting into it the last couple weeks it is actively noticeable in the algorithm so i just want to just say thank you 20 likes on the last podcast uh doubled our views like legitimately i'm not joking if you want to join the conversation the patreon discord is popping the public discord is also going strong right now links to that in the show notes uh, the YouTube comments we've already mentioned, and then you can follow us on Twitter at CCMTG. But the best way to support the show right now, like, subscribe, and comment, and a puppy will catch its tail for the first time if you do all three this week. And think about how happy you'll make that puppy. Where can people find you, Abe? People can find me over at twitter.com slash more nothings. Uh, same stuff as always. Coaching is on on hiatus through the PT and probably a week or two after, just so I can uh, recover from all the preparation I'm doing for for the upcoming events next month. Um, but I'll still be posting things from time to time. See my takes on Ravnica Remastered Limited, where I'm a champion uh, uh, at, at my local RSQ done for the season with uh, with that and just whatever else I come across. Especially in the in the coming weeks, and probably I'll do some some debriefing on you know whatever goes on with the RC and uh, with with uh, the PT in a little bit more depth than just what we'll do on the show. So, do you think you'll ever get to the point where you're not listening to enough music and people can start suggesting songs? I don't think I'm going to be there quite yet. For context, I'm doing I'm doing a song a day uh, this year, and it's going to help me have like monthly playlists and stuff. My liked songs, I have um, more than 10 years yeah. worth of liked songs on Spotify that I could do this for. Um, and I do have a lot of ways I'm naturally like churning my own music library. Cool. Uh, but if you if there are things you want to listen to, I'm open to suggestions. If you always want to give me a music rec on Twitter, I will probably listen to it at some point. It just might not be for like a month. I love it. Mason? You can find me on Twitter at Mason E. Clark. If you want to reach out for coaching, you can do that on Twitter uh, in my DMs there or via email at MasonEClark at gmail.com. 
you can find me over at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. And uh, also pay attention to my Twitter. I get to announce a cool thing later this week, which is awesome. Uh, that might interest some of y'all. So keep an eye out for that. Spencer, what about you? Yeah, you can find me at He's a Game. You can find me uh, this this week. We're switching it up. We were going to do standard this week, but my family was sick for Constructed Clash, so we didn't get to record. But luckily, that's fine. Standard's going to be like a dead format for like a week anyway. So we're going to be recording Modern this week. So we'll check that out on the YouTube channel. Uh, and then, yeah, every, every week or so, uh, we've been missing some time because of illness and stuff, but... Uh, need to nerd podcast it's the other place um yeah that's kind of where people can find me right now uh Abe, what did you learn this week on the podcast i learned that mason hates when i put teferi three into my hammer decks even though that card is very good i just i'm 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 learning it i'm internalizing it i'm hating everything about it i'm hurt by it but i learned it Anything you want to say to Abe right now, Mason? Or are you good? The first step to recovery is talking about it. <laughs> right. Mason, what did you learn on the show this week? I learned that Abe didn't pick up on me not liking Teferi Time Reveler about never mentioning it in the conversations back to him. And he would be like, yeah. So we got Teferi in the deck. And I was like, and then he'd be like, Springleaf Drum. I was like, I like Springleaf Drum. I thought that that would cue in on the Teferi part where it was like I never really talked about it. Like I thought, this might be a I thought it was, but it was a given. I, I was a, like, "Yup." I think it's a poor it communication is. style, Mason. I feel like you might need to work on your your. Uh, I thought yeah. it was a given. <laughs> uh, there's a really good book called Radical Candor, and it talks about how to communicate with each other through love and like, uh, you know, being honest with each other without being a jerk. Uh, it's a really, really good book uh, if you haven't read it. You can also watch a six-minute YouTube video that explains it. Abe, have you read this book? It is a foundation of the management program that I uh, that I mean, I have not read the book, but I've read like pretty sizable uh, excerpts from it, and it's like a, a foundational piece of how they educate at, at my company. It legitimately changed my life and like who I am as a person. After I, uh, uh, Kim Scott is the author. She uh, went and did a, a keynote at a conference that I was at, and it was the best keynote I've ever heard in my life. Uh, she also gave me a free copy of the book and it, I was like, I read it. I probably read it like four times. It's, it's really good. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's funny because when you're trying to think about what the book's name was, I was like, Oh, radical candor. And yeah. That's why I just recommend like, Oh, well he recommends that book all the time. So it can't be that one. Yeah. I do recommend <laughs> the book all the time. I love it. It's so good. You gotta, you gotta plug, you know, oh, maybe we yeah. have sponsorship. Uh, no, I, I love it. It's really great. Uh, maybe be a little more candid with Abe next time, Mason. <laughs> no. <it>. No. <laughs> uh, shock shook at me. That's what I learned this week. I knew in my head that Shock wasn't in standard, and I saw Shock on the previews, but never put it together that Shock wasn't in, like... Does that make sense? Is that is that weird? That it's I It's weird, but I get you. Because like, I, I have a was Shock actually effect. talking... To my friend about Mono Red, and I was like, I feel like there's a world in which we could play like one of the cyber slots could become like a fifth shock in terms of it being just shocked to play with fire. And then I was looking on Arena and I was like, Shock's not legal. What? So no, it's yeah, not just you. I, I I I knew it wasn't legal because they gave us that instead. And it makes sense that it's in the set for limited, right? Because you need a one mana kill a two-two. So that you could, you know, you can pay for the the stuff. 
but also, is that a fix for uh, Monastery of Swift Spear? Like, do I want more shocks? Is that a thing I want in my life? I don't know. Bloodthirsty Adversary, Swift Spear, other stuff. Do I want more shocks? That's like such a... I don't know that I've ever really wanted four shocks, but like, am I now in a world where I want more? So, that's deck building. Thank you everybody so much for listening. We'll see everybody next time on a brand new episode of Constructed Criticism.